WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 185, all about the Lord of the Rings appendices, Appendix B, being the 185th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and this week we are continuing our dive into the Lord of the Rings appendices with Appendix B. Today, I am joined by Becca of Tolkien Tidbits. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. Um, I reached out to you like I almost want to say like pre-Rings of Power even, yes, but both of yeah. us had different schedules. So I'm yeah. glad that I finally got to have you on. Yeah, me too. I'm glad it finally worked out. <laughs> Why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with Tolkien? Like how did you get introduced to it? And then what is it that you are doing now with, with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and whatnot? Yeah, so I was first introduced to Lord of the Rings by the Peter Jackson movies. My mom had read and loved the books when she was in college. And so she insisted we all go see it when Fellowship of the Ring came out. And at the time, we were at my cousin's for the holidays. So we all piled into our vans and went to the theater. And I have to say, I really did not like it. That's so. okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I also, I actually watched uh, for a college film class, I actually had to watch Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Um, and this was well before I even thought about doing a Tolkien podcast or anything. Um, and that was my first watch and ah. only watch until the podcast. And I also did not like it. So yeah, yeah. I don't know if like for me, I don't know if it was that it was just too scary or if I was slightly traumatized by Gandalf's fall, <laughs> but I spent most of the movie hiding under my coat and I came away really not into it. So the next year when the two ta- ta- when the two towers came out, I was adamant that I would not see this movie. Um, but we were again at my cousin's for Christmas and mm-hmm. everyone was going. So I feel like I was basically forced to go kind of against my will and very unhappy about it. Um, But I think I must have matured a lot over that year or something, because this time I fell in love with it. And Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Yay. Um, Went back and rewatched The Fellowship of the Ring straight after, thought it was the best thing ever, read the books, and the obsession just began. Um, And so the next year, when Return of the King came out, I had my birthday party to go see the movie. And I heard on your podcast a couple episodes ago with the Lorehounds, I think it was... John also went to Return of the King birthday party, and I can confirm it was the best party ever. I love that. That's so (laughs) fun. Um, I think I my like only comparison is I think I went to a birthday party where we went and saw Harry Potter. Um, Oh, nice! It was. I want to say it was. Source, it might have been Sorcerer's Stone, oh, wow. like someone's, yeah. So if you were, you know, a child of the early 2000s and yeah. you had a birthday anywhere from like, I would say like October to January, yeah, that was always set. when like the Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out. You could, yeah, really good birthday party ideas Absolutely. there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, ever since then, Lord of the Rings has been a part of my life. I've taken classes. I rewatch the movies multiple times a year. Um, but I feel like I really got back into it 
um, a lot more in depth, uh, maybe two and a half years ago when I moved back to the US after living and studying in London for seven years. And my mom and I decided to reread the books together. Um, but then she was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. And so we began listening to the audiobook of The Fellowship of the Ring on walks when we could and as we were waiting for her appointments and through her chemo and all of her treatments and everything. And it was like this really encouraging and bright spot in the midst of a really challenging and difficult time. Um, and yeah, so we were really enjoying that. And then as we were going along, we were also listening to the Prancing Pony podcast, chapter by chapter. Um, and Alan and Sean at the time were constantly referencing the Silmarillion. And so we figured after we finished the fellowship that we really ought to go back to the very beginning and try and tackle the Silmarillion. Um, so that's how we began the Silmarillion. And as I was doing all of that, I just got really excited about it and all the new things I was learning and discovering. And so I decided to start an Instagram account um, and then a blog to sort of share all the little tidbits that I'm constantly picking up through my Tolkien explorations and yeah, just trying to like add a little bit of, you know, fun and lightness and little pieces of this world that I'm just exploring um, and then hopefully helping others um, to make Tolkien a little bit more digestible. That's awesome. That that's really uh that's really wonderful that you and your mother were able to use Tolkien and Lord of the Rings as something to connect over and be distracted yeah. by and I've heard like a lot of really wonderful stories of mm. how um Tolkien and this story has like the power to bring people together or connection or provide a light spot in a very dark time. So yeah. um I'm yeah. really sorry that um that all of that was happening to you guys. Um, and I hope, is your mother doing well now? She's doing better. Yeah. I mean, there's been ups and downs. She's finished mm -hmm. with the majority of her treatment. Um, she still has like daily pills she has to take. Um, so yeah, there's definitely ups and downs, but she's doing a lot better than she was. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. And I was just thinking about it earlier because today's actually the day we're recording is actually World Cancer Day. And so I don't know. I was just thinking about it and how it was like, really cool that in the midst of this really hard time, we could sort of mm -hmm. bond over something that we both loved. And she hadn't read the books since she was in college. So it'd been a really long time for her. And I hadn't read them for some time as well. And so, yeah, it was really cool. That's really awesome. Well, best uh, best of luck to your mother as she continues on her health journey. And we'll, oh, thank you. we'll all be sending her positive energy and vibes um, as she continues. Yeah, just just really wonderful stuff to hear about what what Tolkien can do for people. Absolutely. Even yeah. even so so many years after the publication of the mm -hmm. book. So mm -hmm. all right, let's let's dive in now to Appendix B, which is the Tale of Years chronology of the Westlands. So this is so I guess a full disclaimer that this is kind of the first time I'm covering something that I actually actually previously had read, oh. um, but not in full, because when I finished Return of the King, uh, a lot of people said, oh, are you going to do the appendices? Or like, oh my gosh, when even when you finish the last chapter, you have to keep reading and read the appendices, or at least read Appendix B. And people pointed me specifically to, I think it's called... Um, the, the chief days. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. People specifically pointing me to that because that mm -hmm. is where it starts telling you like what happened to 
our our characters yeah. after uh you know Lord of the Rings ended after you know Frodo has sailed off uh Sam has the red book he returns home but then like what happens to their lives after that that's mm-hmm. always something that like as a reader or even you know a a viewer of a movie a TV show you're always thinking about like well what happens to these characters when we're not the the story is done being told to us yeah um So I did read that section. So there are a lot of details that I did already know and weren't surprises to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did read the the rest of it now. Um, I have to say it really it if anyone is having trouble with the Silmarillion um, rings of power, even like this is a really helpful appendix because it's all laid out very clearly organized in a giant timeline and showing like by year what is happening. Mm-hmm. So if anyone if if you're listening and you have confusion about like oh my gosh when did that event happen when did ball this is a great resource to turn to to help clear up that confusion. Yeah, I think it's a really helpful reference like when people are reading the books and as you say like for the rings of power sort of timeline it's really helpful just to sort of get an idea of like where people are at different times. Yes, yeah, totally. And it's also um when it when the timeline gets to the the years that like Lord of the Rings is taking place mm-hmm. and it's like, "Oh, okay, we already know all of this was happening." But it will lay it'll also say like at this time this character was also doing this thing. So mm-hmm. it really puts it into perspective of like, oh my gosh, when, um, you know, when G- Gandalf was like, when when the, the Fellowship was leaving Lorien, that's when Gandalf was like still fighting the Balrog or, or yeah, whatever yeah. It, it was, mm-hmm. you know? It really yeah. puts it into perspective. So we aren't going to focus too heavily on the first part of this appendix just because it covers stuff that we literally just talked about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't want to bore you guys by talking more about it. Um, But I will point out, you know, a couple a couple things here and there of like, oh, I've had a question about this before I was confused or oh, I didn't realize that. Um, Yeah. So first, uh, just some, I don't know, uh, like, like, I don't know, trivia for you, if anyone is ever at like a trivia night and there's a question about like, when did the second age in Middle <laughs> Earth begin? Um, so the, f- the first age ends with Melkor's defeat. And that is the, the Silmarillion uh, is basically all of the first age leading up to that giant battle where the Valar finally come in and help to defeat Melkor. So that is the end of the first age. Um, then the, and the, the second age then begins with like reconstructing life after that. Numenor is beginning uh, to be established, that stuff. Um, and then the second age ends with the, the fir- I'll say the first defeat Mm-hmm. of Sauron. I think like he technically has a couple defeats, like mm-hmm. a couple things where like there's a battle and like he's forced to flee from place to place, but this is really the first time he's really knocked down a peg. Um and it's that battle with uh, I think it's called the Battle of the First Alliance maybe even. Mm-hmm. Um where all of the elves come in, Isildur is there, Elendil is there, um and so the second age ends when Sauron is defeated and Isildur takes possession of the One Ring. 
And then the third age be- uh, ends with the destruction of the One Ring uh, with the events of, of Lord of the Rings. So that's kind of all laid out. If you've ever been confused about what's the first age, what's the second age, when is all that happening? Um, I'd say it's also helpful to remember uh, if you are like forgetting or you get confused. It's like they each end with a giant war. Yeah. (laughs) They all end in giant battles. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting, right? That each age isn't like a certain amount of time. It's just marked by like the defeat of this great evil, like the overthrowing of Sauron or, you know, like, like the destruction of the one ring. So it's very like a very clear marker of when each age ends. Yes. So the yeah, the second age is when like I said, Numenor is beginning to grow and prosper. Um, and this is when the rings of power are created. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this little paragraph, uh, like like section right before it gets into the second age timeline. And just one thing I want to point out, it mentions that when the elves in Middle-earth near Eregion learned that the the dwarves had discovered Mithril, yeah. they moved closer to the Misty Mountains. Hmm. And that's it's so funny because had I not read the Silmarillion and like had I, had I maybe just stopped with like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, I, I thought the elves were like really cool, all this stuff. But the more I learned about the elves, the more I was like, I do not get good vibes from you. This just has colonizer vibes to me of mm-hmm. like, oh, this this like race of people that we have historically, you know, beaten down or, you know, uh, uh, been, you know, fought with in some battles, they found something, they found a cool new resource. Okay. We want to get move. in on that. Exactly. <laughs> so they move closer to the Misty Mountains. And like, I guess we can say, thankfully, it doesn't turn into anything um, violent or harsh like mm. I think it would if it was real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it's actually kind it's of a, the opposite, yeah? Yes, yeah. It says yeah. the friendship that grew between the people of Durin and the elven smiths of Eregion was the closest mm. that there had ever been between the two races. So... It's I nice. still think it's very, it's nice, but I still think it's really shady of yeah. those elves to be like, oh, you found Mithril? Interesting. Fair. Let's um, get in on that action. Mm-mm. Yeah. A lot of this is sort of in the Rings of Power series. And mm-hmm. I know when I was watching Rings of Power, I was a little bit like, I love the friendship between Durin and Elrond. It's oh beautiful. my gosh, yes. I mean, everyone loves it. But I was a little concerned that like, because I felt very... Uh, strongly that you know the friendship as you did at the end of your last episode you talk about Legolas and Gimli and how theirs is the closest friendship between elves and dwarves ever so I was like I love this friendship but I don't feel like it should be more than what Legolas and Gimli share Um, but then like rereading this and realizing but actually like what Rings of Power is doing like there is this really close friendship between dwarves and elves it's the closest that they ever have and like what they're doing and working together is exactly what the show is like building up so I thought that was kind of cool yeah yeah definitely um a lot of this is like oh okay I see where or I see Mm. how the writers of Rings of Power like got that information to do exactly yeah so even though um you know a lot of the people who are really into and really know their Tolkien lore Mm. are like it's not accurate to blah blah um 
I still say it's very like it definitely has its roots in there. They're not yeah, just pulling yeah. this stuff out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it, it's so interesting. It, I think it's interesting that you say that you're worried. Um, you don't want the show to have. I'm getting all the elves and whatnot. Na- um, God, what's his name? Elrond. Yes. <laughs> um, how you you still want Legolas and Gimli to be like the height of like elf dwarf yeah. friendship. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I think. Um, like, yes, we all love the Elrond Durin friendship, but I think the way that they can make sure that we still have like Legolas and Gimli, you know, up on a pedestal, I feel like it's very possible that they lead to a really big falling mm-hmm. out because I of, think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff that happens either with Mithril or the Rings yeah. of Power, or I, I think there's a lot more. Yeah. Um, opportunity for them to have to choose and that the other thing is that Legolas and Gimli are not like yes they are important in like they are important to elves and they are important to dwarves but they're not like the main leaders Mm. so they can kind of you know do whatever they want they can kind of say like I you know I'm not worried about the expectations of what my people have of me Um, whereas Elrond and Durin are very much in positions where like Durin one day Prince Durin is going to be king and Mm -hmm. he's going to have to choose probably between you know defending his people or you know his friendship with elves yeah so I think that could very you know there's a lot there's a lot of of room for them yeah. to go, and I think that's that's good. Yes, well, uh, a lot of exciting opportunities. Yeah, I agree, and I think you're right. Like, I think the show obviously there's a number of seasons left, and there's a lot of time for them to sort of develop this relationship mm-hmm. between dwarves and elves, and then you know to get from that point to where we see the relationship between dwarves and elves in the Lord of the Rings. Obviously, there's a huge difference, so it'll be really interesting to see how the show sort of gets from that point to Lord of the Rings and what will happen between the races and all of that. Yes, yeah. Um, more Kind of more on Rings of Power, mm. both the show and the literal Rings of Power. <laughs> um, I know I've always had some confusion, and I think it is kind of confusing, too, mm. about what did Tolkien write about the creation of the Rings of Power? And yeah. then the show is also um, kind of doing something a little bit different. Yeah. So the time, it's, okay, anyway, I'll just read what the timeline says. In the year 1200 of the Second Age, this is when Sauron is like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to befriend the elves, and whatever comes of that will come of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Gilgalad sees right through him. Mm -hmm. It says, refuses to treat with him. But the the smiths of Eregion are won over. So that is kind of depicted in the show, even though, um, you know, Sauron and spoiler alert, Halbrand, <laughs> you know, um, even though Halbrand is different from this version mm-hmm. of of Sauron hiding among, you know, befriending the elves, we do still see that play out where yeah. like he wins them over. It's and, like very like, condensed, right? It's like you yes, see it in yeah. a very much shorter span of time where he's like working exactly. with Celebrimbor and they're making the rings and... Yeah. Then in the year 1590, so what is it, 300, almost 400 years later, the three rings are created in Oregion. And then 10 years after that, Sauron creates the one ring. Mm-hmm. So 
that that at least clears that point up for me. I've always been a little bit confused. I'm like, so wait, are the three rings, the nine and the seven, are they all created? And then mm-hmm. Sauron makes the one ring or, you know, what happens? So at least that clears that up, that the elves make their rings and then Sauron makes the one ring. Mm-hmm. It Unfortunately, the timeline doesn't say anything well, else about when the and men's yeah, rings. Exactly. I'm like, so when did those come yeah, into play? And I'm like when did well. when did he give the mm. the rings to like when did he make the rings and when did he give them to the dwarves? Mm-hmm. And I and I know and from our previous chapter, at least mm-hmm. with the dwarves, we know that like the dwarves were unable to be manipulated by the rings. So like I would have appreciated that within the timeline to be yeah. like, you know, in this year, Sauron realizes that the dwarves are not going to be controlled by the rings. Yeah. And starts using other means to get the rings or something. Or you're like, yeah. you know, in this year, Sauron takes this ring. Right. That I think that would have been helpful to have more of the information about the other rings in I here. I agree, yeah. Because there's a lot of time, right? It's like from <clears throat> 1500 when they start to 1590. Yeah. That's 90 years that they're using to create the rings, whereas... In the show, again, condensed timeline, it's like two yeah. weeks and they make <laughs> two the three. Days, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's like the show has a lot of room, right, to sort of play around and, you know, explore that because it's not really specified. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because like technically, like it does, it is a condensed timeline in the show because when the three rings are created, like, for example, Elendil yeah. I don't think is a, yeah, Elendil no. is not alive at no. this point. But in the show, he yeah. is alive yeah. when the three rings are created. So, you know, that it is a condensed timeline, so it does kind of like muddle things. But I I don't know. I I'm more I'm really interested for season two and to see Me too. to see I'm really just like I'm really pro dwarf these days. Like I love the the dwarves in the show. I loved learning more about them in mm, the in previous the chapter, section. section. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm really interested to see like if the show will what they will show about the dwarven rings mm. being created. Well, and it's really interesting because that's the one sort of segment that we don't really know what happens mm. right and you're talking about a lot about that in the last episode but like even in lord of the rings we know sort of what happens to the nine and the three but the seven are very like yeah nebulous. it's just like some <laughs> of them were oh i will share someone um replied to a a, a, a tweet and let me know that mm. durin's ring is canon okay um that they apparently either it was like passing either it was like background conversation in the movie or it was in the chapter but it was Hmm. apparently mentioned in passing in the council of elrond i think is what they were Mm. they were quoting okay um but obviously like at the time that i was reading that or when i was watching it i wouldn't have picked up on that and Mm -hmm. been like what is that about? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll have to go back and see. But apparently, yes, Durin's ring, this like seventh ring that escaped Sauron's possession for the longest time is, is real and is canon. Mm. So again, super exciting stuff yeah. for the show because we'll we'll get to see um, that that is something that like the lore fanatics can't say. Well, that's not canon <laughs> when when you know the Elven lords give Durin, King Durin the Third mm-hmm. a ring because that is exactly what Tolkien wrote. Mm-hmm. So 
super exciting. Okay, anyway, anyway. Yeah, that's the creation of the Rings of Power very Mm -hmm. briefly. Oh, and if I can just point out sort of what we were talking about before, like this is, you know, 1500, 1590. And then I think the show in terms of where Numenor is, is like all the way in the 3175, 3255 sort of segment. So it is like thousands of years later mm-hmm. but obviously it's a huge amount of time that you cannot show in yeah the, you know span of a television series so so what i thought they were going to reveal at some point in the like at, throughout watching the first season and you know mm-hmm. in between each episode speculating stuff i thought there was going to be some kind of a time jump where yeah we because for a while we hadn't the only Like, there were all these different groups of characters, and for a while, they hadn't interacted yet. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, they're going to reveal, like, um, I I thought that Numenor, the Numenor plotline was, you know, in the, maybe in the year 3000, and I was like, oh, they're going to come over to Middle Earth, and that's when they're going to reveal that the Southlanders are actually from, like, earlier on Mm. in in the timeline or something. So Mm -hmm. I thought we had a couple different timelines going too. Like that could have been cool. Anyway, okay. There's a lot of different (laughs) ways they could have done it, right? But I think it does make sense. Like there are already so many characters and they, I I imagine they want you to feel invested and like get to know Mm -hmm. the characters. So the longer you can spend with them, the better. So... I think it makes sense what they're doing, but or or the the more painful because that's like, true. <laughs> I really I really like Ellen Dill. I like, know he's a cool guy, and it's like oh no. Well, and also like <laughs> Celebrimbor to know like his fate. It's you know, mm-hmm. and I love you know how he's being portrayed as well. His character is great, and yeah, it's just it's sad when you know what's going to happen to them. Yes, yeah. Uh, what can you do? In the third age, it refers to it as the fading years of the Eldar. Um, and even though there are like these periods of peace, because right, they just defeated Sauron. And in their eyes, they're probably at first, everyone's probably like, all right, we won. We can finally live at peace. All the badness is gone. But then as you know, the years go on and then it's like, oh, no, there's Nazgul and there's a witch king. And there and yeah, whis- they all- <laughs> it always says like whisperings. Yeah. <laughs> so they are. There, there are these periods of peace, but it is kind of like the shadow is hanging over them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the calm mm-hmm. before the storm. Um, it mentions, like we dove into last week, the the dwarves and how they became a wandering people. That just like breaks my heart. Mm. Um, the um, Numa- the lifetime of the Numenorians begins to decrease as they, you know, get further and further away from the people that they were in Numenor. And this is when, again, like another timeline compression in the show, uh, this is where we have the wizards appear right, in yeah, Middle-earth. Yeah, in the Third Earth. Age. Yeah. yeah. A thousand in the years third age. into the Third Age. Yes, yeah. So it's, uh, let's see. So the creation of the One Ring is the year 1600, or let's say, okay, if we're going with the show, the Three Rings, mm-hmm. 1590 in the Second Age. And yeah. then... The third age ends in the year thirty four forty one. Yeah, or second 41. age. Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So another three thousand years yeah. after the three rings is when the wizards show up. Whereas mm-hmm. in the show, uh, at least one wizard, yes, uh, at, that we know arrived. of, 
has arrived just before the creation of the Three Rings. Mm-hmm. So there's another timeline compression, but mm-hmm. um, it says that they were messengers sent to contest the power of Sauron and to unite all those who had the will to resist him. But they were forbidden to match his power with power, or to seek the dom- or to seek to dominate elves or men by force and fear. So they're here to help out, but they know that they are not you know, the chosen one, so to speak. They're like, we're here to help and to get everyone together to defeat Sauron, but we cannot defeat Sauron mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, we had some theorizing and discussion after the end of season one, mm-hmm. where one of my guests shared that she, uh, she thought that the stranger should have been, the meteor should have crashed to Earth at the end of the season one finale, mm. so that that's the little cliffhanger. That because been cool. in the lore, the wizards are sent to contest. You know, Sauron is growing in power. Yes, that and that's been when good the wizards timing. show up. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, mm. I, I won't go into it too much because I've already griped about it enough. But I don't think that the whole like "Ooh, who is Sauron?" thing should have been a main plot point. Mm. Um, and so I think having the wizard, the stranger, appear at the end of season one when Sauron has revealed himself. He's returned to Mordor. Um, I think that would have been really, I think that would have been a really smart move. Yeah. But alas, that's not what we got. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what they do with it. It mentions that there are, does it even say anything about the 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 blue wizards here I don't think so, like no, sometimes it here. says like and two blue it yeah. just talks about um Gandalf sauron and, and saruman Sar- oh yeah. my god no no problem saruman <laughs> and gandalf. gandalf yeah um it doesn't even mention radagast here so that's the you know third <laughs> wizard and then the, were two, the two highest yeah yeah these are like the ones that we we most know yeah. about someone on twitter said last night that they wish there was a uh kind of like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but for the two blue wizards that we never hear anything about. For those that don't know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are these like two side characters in the Shakespeare play Hamlet. Uh. And they are like, they're Hamlet's friends and they're called on by the king to like distract or cheer up Hamlet because he's super depressed. And so they show up and then like they eventually go on like their own adventure and get like kidnapped by pirates. And eventually I think they're they're killed. But this mm-hmm. play was later written and it's called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And it's the events of Hamlet, but from the perspective of these two characters who only show up for like two scenes. Mm. Uh, so I would love to read something or watch something that's like the events of Middle Earth, but from the perspective of these two wizards that we never know, know anything right? about. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you already discussed this a lot at the end of the series, but I'm still holding out that the stranger could be a blue wizard because I think that would be cool. Mm. <laughs> so see, I I think we will see the blue wizards. My theory right now is that, like, I know the show is leading us to believe that it's Gandalf because of... Yeah, well, they've used a lot of obvious signals, right? Yes, exactly. But... If you go back to the the lore, mm-hmm. it's Saruman who appears first. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if maybe this is actually Saruman 
Oh, that's and interesting. Then, and like the reason that, you know, he says the thing about like, when in doubt, follow your nose. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that he tells Gandalf, Gandalf and then Gandalf, Gandalf picks it ah, up from him. Exactly. So I think the more likely reason is that it's just Gandalf yeah. and we're, I think you know, it is overthinking. Too. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I feel a little bit like you were saying in your last episode about your, you know, what they're what they could do with the dwarves. And I'm like, oh, like, I think it could be really compelling if it is Blue Wizard because we don't know, like, anything yeah. about the Blue Wizards. And, like, there's so much they could do with that. Um, That's really exciting and, stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I thought the mention of Rune really made me think, like, oh, this could be Blue Wizard kind of hinting. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah. see what they do. I'm hoping that we do see more about the Blue Wizards because we, we know literally nothing. Know. It's so funny to me because Tolkien... You know, he left no no stone unturned. He's when crazily he was specific about a lot of things. About almost everything. Yeah. And then the blue wizards, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's some like lost book about blue wizards that we just haven't found yet. <laughs> I know, yeah. I I know that the um Twitter the, the Twitter account that I have for the podcast, I know that some like really smart not that we aren't also smart people, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but some like really like Tolkien intelligent yeah, people follow it. So maybe I'll tweet something and be like, is there anything about mm. the Blue Wizards? Like, Please are there any the like Tolkien like letters that he wrote where he mentioned something in passing or like a draft or is there mm. something, you know, because that's just so in- it's just the, you know, the only other thing I can think of is Tom Bombadil, where right, he yeah. just kind of left him. He just open. kind of like. Yeah, super open ended. I was just actually reading this yesterday in one of his letters, and it just made me think of it because you were saying, like, he is very specific about some things, but in one of his letters, he said, I feel it's better not to state everything, and indeed it is more realistic, since in chronicles and accounts of real history, many facts that some inquirer would like to know are omitted, and the truth has to be discovered or guessed from some, from such evidence as there is. So I feel like he does leave. Like some things maybe purposefully, like I think Tom Bombadil, he leaves purposefully sure. vague so that it's like, you know, maybe he has an idea in his mind of who he actually is, but he like sort of leaves it for you to to ponder mm. and just come to your own conclusion. I think that's so, that that quote from, uh, you said it was a letter. Yeah. Um, that's so funny to me because like he knows that it's almost more, you know, realistic or mm. interesting but to not still. write every, but he still like <laughs> really detailed everything. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like he he had this idea, but he just could like he he knew that in the back of his mind, but he just couldn't help himself yeah. <laughs> from writing every last detail. So by the end of Lord of the Rings, we know that the three Elven rings are. In the possession of uh, Galadriel, Elrond, and then like plot twist, Gandalf. It's like what? Woo. That's how did Gandalf get an Elven ring? That's so yeah. interesting. It is really so, interesting, right? <clears throat> yeah. So um, originally, it starts out with Gilgalad, Galadriel, and Círdan. Mm-hmm. Gilgalad later, I believe, gives he gives it to Elrond. Oh, that's right. He gives it to Elrond. Yeah. Círdan is the shipwright yes. at the coast the gray mm-hmm, havens mm-hmm. he's reminder like one of the og elves he's been there since like the beginning of time almost mm-hmm. uh in, in the scale of of middle earth and when gandalf arrives when he like first interacts with gandalf 
It says that he welcomed Mithrandir at the Grey Havens, knowing whence he came and whither he would return. Mm -hmm. Take this ring, master, for your labors will be heavy, but it will support you in the weariness that you have taken upon yourself. For this is the ring of fire, and with it you may, I think this is so interesting, with it you may rekindle hearts in a world that grows chill. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he says, like, as for me, my heart is with the sea. So he's kind of now accepted, like, I don't want the responsibility of this ring. And also, like, its usefulness might be wasted on me because yeah. I'm not, I'm just going to stay here. But I think that's so interesting that it says you may rekindle hearts mm-hmm. in a world that grows chill because yeah. that's really what Gandalf does I time know. and time again. It's so beautiful. You know, his uh, his interaction with Bilbo to mm-hmm. get Bilbo to go on this adventure. Um even like just before that, how he he meets Thorin in Bree, yeah, and yeah. has this idea Hatches to reclaim Erebor, and like it's kind of like how did Gandalf convince so many people? You know, like how yeah. did he convince Frodo to that to to that? You know, he was responsible for the One Ring now, and like mm-hmm. everything's going to be okay still. And mm-hmm. how did he? Like, at some point, Sauron is growing and he has to convince the White Council Mm -hmm. that it's worth fighting. You know, like, there's so many instances where Gandalf has to encourage someone and convince someone to, like, take the next step and do something. Yeah. And maybe that's just, like, who he is as a person or maybe it's the ring, you know? Yeah. Or maybe it's, like, part of all of it, right? Like, his his role as an Istari and, you know, who he is and then also with the help of the ring. Yeah. And I think also, um, I thought, yeah, I thought, I think it's so interesting that Gandalf gets an elven ring when he's not an elf. Um, but obviously it feels like it's like perfect for him. And I just thought, um, just like what you're saying in that quote about what Kierden's saying, where he says, but as for me, my heart is with the sea and I will dwell by the gray shores until the last ship sails. I will await you. And then I like went back to Return of the King um, at the end when mm-hmm. like they're arriving at the Grey Havens and it says, as they came to the gate, Cairdin the shipwright came forth to greet them. Very tall he was and his beard was long and he was gray and old, save that his eyes were keen as stars. And he looked at them and bowed and said, all is now ready. And I was like, oh my gosh, he said thousands of years before I I will wait yeah. for you by the sea. And yeah. then here he is. And I was like, ah, Tolkien. Yeah, because so it does amazing. say, um, for Kierden saw further and deeper mm-hmm. than any other in Middle Earth. So, so some of that is, you know, that like elven foresight Sense. that he yeah, has. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so, so incredible, like bringing it full, full, full circle, circle for, you know, exactly. Kierden and Gandalf's journey together. Yeah. yeah. I love it. So that's just, you know, an explanation I thought was interesting for. Mm why Gandalf gets the the elven ring when it's like, well, hang on, when the when the wizards first came to Middle Earth, Saruman was the highest of yeah. them. Saruman the White. And yeah. it's like why, you know, they didn't know until like well into the third age mm-hmm. that Saruman was up to no good mm-hmm. at the time that the the wizards first arrived you would have no reason to believe that like Saruman can't be trusted with an elven ring yeah and like this is so the, this is how Gandalf ended up with this Kierden was like you know what I just get a good vibe from you and I think <laughs> I you think will this is actually you know. best for you yes yeah so then we go into the timeline of the third age mm-hmm. a lot of it is you know events like I said, 
most of it, I would say, is events that we just covered or even just like it it gets into like the events of The Hobbit and mm-hmm. the events of uh, of Lord of the Rings. So mm-hmm. it's like if you want a more boring version <laughs> of those stories, you can read this. Or go um, read the book. Yeah. Or yeah, go read the book. But like we already know most of this. Um, so I'll just point out a few things that mm-hmm. I, I thought were interesting. Um, so... Uh, the the first mention of halflings, so mm-hmm. to speak, yeah. is not until uh, the year 1050 mm-hmm. in the Third Age. It says the Perianath are first mentioned in records with the coming of the Harfoots to Eriador. So even though like, you know, theoretically, the halflings have been around this whole time. It's not until the third age that they become kind of like known mm-hmm. to other people. And I think that's so that's so interesting because mm. um, that's the those are the people that like Tolkien started this world with. Yeah. Uh, all the way going all the way back to the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Like when he fir- like that was the first thing he wrote. And the first people he wrote were Hobbits. Mm. And then they're the last people to be introduced to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think. I'm not sure what idea came to him first, like, because I feel like he was working on the Silmarillion, you know, like, from super early on in his writings as well, so I don't know. Yeah, it is kind of like, I'm sure he was building so much of this world in his head and in scrap notes and stuff, Um, and it was all there anyway, it was just a matter of, you know, organizing it. Yeah, but I do think, like you're saying, like, he has made the key characters of, like, the fully fleshed out stories like about hobbits and like those mm-hmm. are like the characters that like we can relate to um and yeah so i feel like hobbits had a special place in his heart so it is yeah. just and yet like they... they're the least yeah. written about almost yeah. you know like <laughs> um something i thought was funny is that in in this huge timeline there are a couple things where it's like that seems like a random thing to throw mm. in for example he makes sure that we know that pipeweed was oh, yeah, planted <laughs> in the year twenty six seventy. Pipeweed. <laughs> yes. Um, let me see. What does it say? Yeah, it says um, to- Tobold plants pipeweed <laughs> in the South Farthing. They even know in- the person who planted it. Yes. And it's like, this is what, like, like reading this timeline, it's like, I can see Tolkien being like, okay, what are the, like, obviously so much happens in this world, but what are the main events that like really are important for establishing like how the things that happen afterwards came Mm -hmm. to be and like, you know, setting up these dominoes, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And he's like, one of those dominoes has to be pipeweed yeah <laughs> and but making I feel, sure we know <laughs> i feel like the timelines really pull out you know the important markers of history for like elves and men and i feel like maybe for hobbits that's the important marker of history Th- that is true yeah because <laughs> <laughs> it it also says oh, oh yeah here we go in the year 2790 is the birth of geronitius Later known as the old Took. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who is that guy? It's the old Took. So ah. he was born in the year 2790. Mm. Um, yeah, you're right. The And then he died in the year 2920. So yeah, pulling out those important mm-hmm. uh, markers for kind of each of the races. Mm-hmm. Something that I never thought about. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, that makes sense. This is just kind of me connecting dots that, like, Mm. I previously forgot to connect. Yeah. When Gandalf visits Bilbo at Mm -hmm. The Hobbit and when they set off on this journey, Gandalf has 
the key to Erebor. Yeah. And he just kind of in passing is like, oh, yeah, your dad gave it to me. Yeah. Um, but the timeline points out that he, it says in 2850, Gandalf enters Dol Guldur, and that is where he finds that Thrain, mm-hmm. Thorin's father, has been captured. And he, at that time, is when he receives the key, the mm-hmm. key to Erebor. And then he leaves and Thrain dies in Dol Guldur. And then afterwards is when... That, that's kind of one of the things that's making Gandalf really adamant to the White Council about, yeah. like, we need to fight Sauron. Like, I yeah. just found King Thrain. He died and he was, you know, being tortured and captured by Sauron's forces. Like, this is a huge thing. But it's mm-hmm. not until it's not for several years after that that they finally go to mm-hmm. confront uh, Sauron in Dol Guldur. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and I feel like in... To 2770, Smog the Dragon takes over Erebor. So I feel like the timeline has all these things that are sort of like setting up the Hobbit and like setting up Lord of the Rings. And you can sort of see Tolkien like going back and being like, okay, for the Hobbit, like these events are taking place. So like when would Smog have taken over Erebor? Or like when would Gandalf have gotten the key? And all these things setting up, you know, the Hobbit story. Yes, totally. Um, and then in 2941, it says Thorin Oakenshield and Gandalf visit Bilbo in the Shire. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it says Bilbo meets Smeagol Gollum and finds the ring. And it's just so funny to see like one of the most famous, yeah. you know, stories in history condensed to like Thorin and Gandalf vi- visit Bilbo in the Shire. <laughs> it's crazy, It's like, well, right? there's a little more to that. <laughs> yeah, there's like for The Hobbit especially, like the book itself is condensed to like to like points on the timeline you know it's like very short but then when you get to the lord of the rings it's like he expands on it by like day everything yeah like yeah. every day <laughs> let me give you the whole thing but for the hobbit it's like very small. here's yeah yeah <laughs> it's like just go um, read the, the book <laughs> yes the way i was also kind of viewing this timeline is like how does it you know we we're saying oh well what are the important markers mm. in history for each of the races yeah i was also looking at it as like what are the important moments in time for the one ring mm. and like this is a huge because it also says uh it points out when like 500 years prior to that it says that about this time deagle the store finds the one mm-hmm. ring and is murdered by smeagol yeah and then it says after that about this time, Smeagol hides in the Misty Mountains. So setting up, like, where is the One Ring? Yeah. And isn't it, it's like 2,463 years into the Third Age that, like, the One Ring is found. So it's like, I feel like I didn't really quite fathom, like, how much of the Third Age, let alone the other two ages, had happened before, you know, so true, it even, yeah. like, setting into motion the events of Lord of the Rings. Like, there's thousands of years before it's even found that are happening, that yeah. Tolkien planned out. Um, I felt like reading this puts everything, especially when you get into, like, the really detailed account of Lord of the Rings, mm. it really puts everything into a huge, like, on, on a, like, grander scheme of things yeah for sure because you're reading it and you're like oh dang like Gandalf was fighting you know from the time that Gandalf confronts the Balrog to the like it says okay so I guess yeah let's fast let's fast forward to to all of that then Mm -hmm. so in the timeline of Lord of the Rings like for example what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. with this like grand scheme of things January 15th is when 
to the fellowship, they're like, oh, Gandalf dies. Mm-hmm. On January 15th, because so. that's when, yeah, but not really. Yeah, it just says the bridge of Khazad-dûm and mm-hmm. fall of Gandalf. And mm-hmm. so the rest of the fellowship leave Moria. But on January 23rd, it says Gandalf pursues the Balrog. Mm-hmm. And then the 25th, he casts down the Balrog and passes away. So he is fighting the Balrog for 10 days. 10 days. <laughs> 10 days fighting a Balrog. Wow. totally wild totally so it really puts it into a huge huge like you know that perspective yeah yeah i think just jumping off of that like going back a bit like um i feel like especially because i watch the movies a lot like you sort of don't get a sense of the time that's passing exactly but like you know in the beginning of fellowship there's like 17 years between when Gandalf, when Bilbo leaves and Gandalf is like, oh, maybe yes. this is the one ring. And then, you know, Frodo sets off on his journey seven years, 17 years later. And in the movie, it's like, you know, it seems like weeks have passed or something. But actually, like, years have passed. Like, And, and then the timeline shows, like, during that time, Gandalf and Aragorn were, like, up to a lot of stuff. They were, like, out there trying to track down Gollum and, like, other mm-hmm. things were happening. And, you know, so like you're saying, it really gives you perspective on the actual time frame of everything yes oh just a like really random fun fact that i found interesting whatever um (laughs) is that uh faramir and sam are the same age yes they were born in the same year yeah yeah yeah. did not know that so i just thought that was the ages of characters (laughs) is so interesting i actually i'm super nerdy and i had so much fun preparing for this and i like wrote down the names and ages of all of the fellowship and like some other key characters based on this timeline and it's so interesting like if you don't mind i'll just like listen really fast yes. but like so this is the ages of the fellowship at the time the fellowship of the ring was formed so frodo was 50 sam was 38 pippin was 28 mm-hmm. mary was 36 aragorn was 87 boromir was 40 legolas was thousands of years old maybe like you know he doesn't count <laughs> very old yeah gimli was, was 139 that's not mentioned in the timeline is like mm. when Gimli and when Legolas are born. Yeah. I would be, in, you know. Interested, yeah. I'm but sure then, you can, I'm sure you can look it up. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And then like Bilbo's 128. So Bilbo's older than Aragorn. Bilbo was born before Aragorn. Aylmer's 27, Eowyn's 23, Faramir's 35. So like, I just feel like even that really helped me remember uh, or get better perspective on the, the kind of, yeah, the characters and how they act and the sort of choices they make. Because I think in the movies, I think the actors are all perfectly cast and like I love all of them. But like Frodo Elijah Wood is eighteen and like yeah. Billy Boyd is Elijah Wood was a he was like child. a baby, you know. And like, <laughs> but like in the books, Frodo's the oldest out of all the of oldest them, of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And Sam's pretty young and Pippin's a baby. He's like not even a tween yet, you know. And like. So I just feel like it really helped me get a better perspective of like who these characters are and like how they act in the books and, you know, all of that. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Again, kind of going back to like, oh, why did Tolkien, like, what are the points that he decided were important information to Mm. include in this timeline? Um, He makes sure to note everything about Gandalf meeting shadow facts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is so funny to me. So... Gandalf, after he escapes from Orthanc, uh, when he has been captured by Saruman, he escapes Orthanc, he 
it says he arrives to Edoras as a beggar and is refused admittance. The next day he gains entrance to Edoras. So I don't know what that was about. If mm-hmm. he was like trying to disguise himself and play and be like, no, I'm not Gandalf. I'm just an old man. And then when that didn't work, he's like, just kidding. I'm Gandalf the Grey. I need to see the king immediately. Theoden says, yeah, sure. Take any horse you want. The following day, Gandalf meets Shadowfax, and then he has to, like, track him Mm -hmm. because Shadowfax won't let him ride ride him. him. Yeah. The following day, it says Gandalf overtakes Shadowfax, and then the day after that is when Gandalf finally leaves Rohan with Shadowfax. Mm -hmm. So four days have passed just because he's, ch- I mean, th- he's uh, like two in. of those days, three of those days were just taming shadow facts. But like Frodo, meanwhile, is is like sitting in the Shire being like, what am I supposed to yeah. do? I'm so confused. Yeah. Gandalf was supposed to come and meet me, but he's not here Where anymore. Where is he at? And meanwhile, Gandalf is just over <laughs> around in Edoras <laughs> trying to get a cool horse for four days. <laughs> And it, but I just thought that was so it's also funny. quintessentially Tolkien mm-hmm. that he was like, I want to make sure the details about shadow facts are in this mm-hmm. timeline. Yeah, <laughs> I want you to know exactly what Gandalf was up to. Yes, <laughs> but it is yeah, like between September twenty third and October twenty fifth, Frodo and Gandalf are like kind of constantly missing each other. Like yeah, I Frodo didn't realize that Bree. he was so close yeah, to them. Frodo yeah. leaves Bree and then the next day Gandalf arrives at Bree mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, you just missed him. And then just missed it. And yeah. then I feel like it happens again um when the fellowship is in Lorien for like a, a month and then literally it says that Gandalf was that uh I think it's Gwahir the eagle way here yeah yeah bears gandalf to lorian literally the next day so it's like he just missed them and it's like wow i didn't really realize he was like they were like constantly just like just missing each other this is when the timeline this part is really cool Mm -hmm. to read because when you're reading the story obviously you can only follow you know one or two characters Mm -hmm. at a time but this puts it like we've been saying a million times puts it into perspective of like what are the other characters doing at this Mm -hmm. time what's going on yeah um, just a sad fact that mm. made me, I don't know, more sad Yeah, is, and maybe I, there's a good chance that like I read this in the book and I even talked about it, but I clearly forgot. And then, so, so this might not even be new information, but it feels new to me. Mm. Um, it says that when Boromir dies, his horn is heard in Minas Tirith. Yeah, I highlighted and that too. That makes me so sad because... For your reference, Faramir is my favorite character ever. He can do no wrong, except for in the movie. <laughs> that's a different story. That's yeah, a different story. Okay. That's a different story completely. <laughs> the fact that Borm, the Horn of Gondor, can be heard in Minas Tirith says to me that Faramir knows his brother's in trouble. Yeah. Something is happening. Yeah. He needs help and he can't help Go. Him. He can't get there. Uh, it is heartbreaking. Uh, it really is. Kills me. Kills yeah. me. But that's so <laughs> horn, huh? To be yeah. heard in Minas Tirith. I don't know how maybe many miles, it ha- Maybe it has but... like, I know, I'm like, maybe it has just like magic Gondor powers, powers and like, it's not the different, it's not the, the distance or the loudness of the horn. Maybe mm. it's just like, this is a magical horn that can be heard by fellow Gondorians it's a horn of or Gondor, something. So it's always heard yeah. in Gondor, maybe. Heard in Gondor, maybe. I, I don't I like know that. about the mechanics. <laughs> yeah. Especially because like, in, in the movie, it's like, you know, uh, 
antler or something. It's, yeah. It's like a, yeah. a wooden yeah. curved thing. I don't know. I mean, a horn. Yeah. yeah but like, it's not like a, a trumpet or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's really the only thing I was going to point out in like the Lord of the Rings timeline. Was mm-hmm. there anything that you wanted to talk about before we get into like after the, immediately after the ring is destroyed? If there's mm-hmm. anything you wanted to talk about? This is going back to the very beginning of the timeline. And maybe it's just I just picked up on it because Elrond's like one of my favorite characters in Rings of Power um, and just in general. But um, like at the beginning of the Third Age, he's like he weds Celebrian, daughter of Celeborn. And actually, like, I feel like we get a little bit more about Celeborn in this appendix than like we ever get anywhere else, which is interesting. So I'm just, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just made me think about, you know, what they'll do with the show, with all of that. And also, and then it just made me sad. Especially because oh. the show is painting Galadriel and Elrond as good friends. And then, like, he's going to marry her, her daughter. daughter. Yeah. That, like, it's also in the timeline of yeah. the show, yeah. she hasn't, ha- she and, sp- spoiler alert for <laughs> She's married. I say that, like, an hour into this. Um, she, at this point, thinks that Celeborn is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the show by the end of season one because there was some battle and he never came back. So at this point, it's not even like, oh, they're married and, you know, she has a kid, but Celeborn's just being a stay-at-home dad. It's just they haven't even gotten married at this point in the show. So that will be really weird. Yeah, it's interesting to think how they'll work that out. Um, I don't know. Um, And then then also, I think it points out, yeah, when Celebrian receives a poisoned wound and like Elrond can't heal her and she departs over the sea and like Mm -hmm. I don't know all of that I feel like that just helps give a lot of better perspective on Elrond and like his story and like his background and so like you know I because you're doing the tale of Aragorn and Arwen and sort of I think some of maybe his reluctance Yeah, I realized as I was editing that episode, I was like, oh, shoot, I skipped over because it does mention, I think, that point that Mm. um, that, yeah, Arwen's mother at some point gets uh, injured and then she goes over to the Undying Lands. Mm -hmm. And I think I like skipped over that point in the conversation. Yeah. Um, And I think it's also it does provide more insight to to why Elrond uh, is so sad reluctant yeah. and you know for for Arwen to stay with Aragorn because in his mind he's like okay it's fine one day I'll go over you know we'll all go over to the Undying Lands and we'll be a family again we'll yeah. be reunited I want yeah. my daughter to be reunited with her mother mm-hmm. and so when Arwen wants to stay behind uh he's like that means like you're never going to see loss. your mother again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel especially for elves, it's like they're not as used to that, right? And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, it's just really, it like breaks, yeah, it like breaks my heart. And actually, I don't know, it just made me think, I was listening to this um, episode of The Friendship Onion. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. listened to it. It's a podcast with um, uh, the actors of Mary and Pippin, so Billy mm-hmm. Boyd and Dominic Monaghan, and they were interviewing Bear McCreary, who is the composer for the music of Rings of Power, and he was just talking about how he really struggled to write the theme for Elrond's character, um, and then he went back and, like, read um, the books and the appendices and, like, got this greater... Or, like, just reminded him of this context of Elrond and, like, the sort of tragedy that... 
because he also lost his father and his mother, you know? So yeah. it's like, he's oh, yeah. lost a lot. And then, you know, <laughs> and then he will lose more. And it's, it just, and so, and then he was able to write this beautiful theme that is kind of like tinged with like sadness because uh, Bear McCreary was trying to bring that into the music. And I just, yeah, I just, I feel like it gives you a whole nother layer to Elrond's character and like how he acts and the choices mm-hmm. he makes and the things he says in the books and movies as well. Yeah, I would say if there's any non-main character of Lord of the Rings that you're interested in, go to the appendices and learn. There's probably more about them there, you know, and like more finer details that really fill out that character that in the the book, maybe only get like a passing mention or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Like Arwen, for example, is barely in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You can get a whole tale about her. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. We heard about this in Durin's folk, that there was also during the War of the Ring, there was also, you know, battles going Mm -hmm. on by Erebor and Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get more of an explanation for if you were ever watching the movies or reading the book and you're like, where are the rest yeah, of the elves? Exactly. Where, where are the, are the re- like where are the dwarves? Like are why are they not are they showing helping? up to help? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is where we get explanation for why they're not um with our characters. They're not at Minas Tirith, they're not um at the Black Gate, but they are still fighting mm-hmm. on their own fronts. Mm-hmm. Three times Lorien had been assailed from Dol Guldur, but the elves are able to push them back and retake, you know, their their land, their forests, and they win. It also says that the realm of Thranduil was invaded, so that's Mirkwood, and again, the, they're able to take back their their forests and win. And afterwards, uh, Mirkwood is later renamed to the Wood of Green Leaves. Mm-hmm. That's like thriving and great, but it does say that Lorien was just kind of sad and depressing to go to because so many elves had left Mm -hmm. by that point. So even though there's these battles against the elves kind of in the forests and the woods, they're able to win and take back all their stuff. The same can't really be said for the the poor dwarves, man. They just cannot cut a break. Yeah. Oh, my God. So there are battles on the front by... Erebor, like I said, Erebor, and then that town of Dale. King Brand is Bard's grandson. Mm-hmm. So Bard is the person who killed Smaug. In the Hobbit. In the, yes, in the Hobbit. Um, and then this is his grandson, who is now the leader, mm-hmm. King Brand. And then Dane Ironfoot is still the leader the uh, of Durin's folk. Um, this is the same dwarf who in the battle to try and retake Moria before the events of the Hobbit, um, he killed Azog. And then after uh, the event, after battle of five armies, when Thorin and Keely and Feely die, the, the leadership goes over to him next. Mm -hmm. So this is still that same dwarf. And it's like, he's, he's seen some action, you know, (laughs) Okay, yeah, so it says that King Brand had the aid of the dwarves of Erebor, and there was a great battle at the mountain's feet. It lasted three days, but in the end, both King Brand and King Mm -hmm. Dane Ironfoot were slain, and the Easterlings had the victory. Boo. Sad, sad. Um, So everyone takes refuge in Erebor, and they're just kind of 
being sieged mm-hmm. and just trying to hold out as long as they can. And luckily, they when it. the ring is destroyed, that calls back and like all of Sauron's mm-hmm. forces, all of the darkness, they flee and go elsewhere mm-hmm. uh, at the destruction of the ring. And so they're able to come out of it and then continue on. Mm-hmm. That's what was going on with the elves and the dwarves. If you were ever curious about what was happening, um, I still do think I still will point out, though, it's like those things only happened at the very tail end mm. Uh, so, so like maybe we could have used some more assistance <laughs> at the front, but, um, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I mean, I guess they should, you know, there were elves and dwarves represented at the council of Elrond. Yeah. So and in the fellowship. I guess they were there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess at the beginning it is sort of like, there's not like, you know, in the fellowship of the ring, there's not big battles going on, right? It's like a, it's like a secret mission of stealth. Yes, that's true. All right, and then we get into the like post Lord of the like Return of the King ends. the The last line is Sam. Sam comes home and says like, "Well, I'm back." So what happens after that? Mm-hmm. Cue the epilogue. Yes, the epilogue. Exactly. It's titled "Later Events Concerning the Members of the Fellowship of the Ring." Originally, so originally Frodo becomes the mayor, and mm-hmm. then someone else becomes the mayor after him, and then after that, Sam is elected mayor, Woo-hoo. and he is elected mayor multiple times. Seven times. <laughs> <laughs> the people know what they want, and what they want. <laughs> what they is want is Samwise Sam. Gamgee. Oh yeah. Yes. And each term is, I think, seven years. So, like, that's a long, time, a long yeah. time. Yes. Yes. They're making these active choices mm-hmm. to make sure he is their leader. Pippin has a son who he names Faramir. <laughs> it Yay. kills me every time. <laughs> oh, my God. It just so touches cute. my heart. And isn't that, you know, that scene in the movie where Faramir and Pippin have their little, like, moment? And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking, like, maybe that really stuck with him. And then he, like, names his son Faramir. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it um, it is kind of like it, it's strange and interesting because it's like, well, Pippin was the one who saved Faramir's mm, life. Yeah. So technically, Faramir should, should name, name his, his son, son Pippin. Pippin. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, so I have to wonder and think like they must have in like the time but in like the time that they were hanging around Gondor for the coronation mm-hmm. and Aragorn and Arwen's wedding and stuff yeah. they must have had some extra yeah, bonding yeah, for sure that for time sure. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. similarly so Mary becomes the master of Buckland and when this happens it says that gifts are sent to him by King Aomer and Lady Eowyn so cute <laughs> so si- similar to how Pippin bonded mm-hmm. with Faramir yeah. and Gondor Mary also had this bond with yeah. Aomer and Eowyn um then uh further further down we learn that Sam's daughter Goldilocks marries Pippin's son Faramir. Uh, <laughs> so the cute. Intermingling. And also like I have to imagine that it, it must just be so fun for like you to be best friends, yeah. you know, with with your people, and then you grow up and you get married and you have kids, and then like your kids get married. I know. That's so fun. It's really sweet. <laughs> the, then it gets. We're gonna get sad now, guys. Can we be I'm happy sorry. a little longer? Yes. Do you have a, a happy <laughs> well, a happy just, thing um, to bring up before the sad stuff? Yeah, I was just thinking, like, because um, in 1442, like, Sam and his wife and his daughter go and live in Gondor for a year. So it's like, right. they're going and living it up with Aragorn and Arwen. And, like, um, 
like Aragorn's like gifting land to the Shire and like I just feel it's really nice. Oh, to and Aragorn see. also passes a law that no men should enter the, the Shire. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, like he is a Wait, king, but literally, <laughs> but like he's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think it mentions when they meet up later, they like meet at the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, I guess of the land. Yeah. But like he Oh, and he also they also make Sam's Sam and Rosie's first daughter, Eleanor, mm-hmm. uh, the maid of honor to I know. Queen Arwen. It's so cute. And even a little bit before that, like it was saying that um uh Eowyn and uh Eowyn and Aylmer depart for Rohan mm-hmm. with the sons of Elrond. And I was like, Oh, that's really nice. Like that, you know, these people from Rohan and these people from Rivendell are kind of, like, coming together. They're all coming together, I feel together, like there's yeah. lots of, like, you know, people are, like, able to have relationships and friendships and, like, come together and visit each other. And it's just, it's a really nice picture. It is a really nice picture. And and the the sad stuff is also nice, yeah. but it, it, it's still Bitter sad. Bittersweet, yeah. Yeah. So in 1482 is when Rosie dies. Mm-hmm. And Sam decide he he departs bag end on september 22nd and this is i i think also the same date that they originally left yeah, or that it's they frodo left, and bilbo's birthday and it's when they left the the shire for frodo to go to the gray haven oh oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. and so he i guess he's like i mean i might as well stick with keep the tradition, tradition. yeah, <laughs> yeah. He goes to see Eleanor, his mm-hmm. daughter, and to whom he gives the Red Book. And afterwards, it is passed down through their family mm-hmm. to keep track of. And I guess to I guess they are the ones that wrote this timeline. Mm-hmm. You know, he says goodbye to Eleanor. This is the last person who sees him. And he went to the Grey Havens and passed over sea, last of the ring bearers. So he goes to be, and this is where, <laughs> oh, I am, I'll, I'll I'll plug this. Target, I'll have to leave a, a link in the episode description. Target low-key released a gay Sam and Frodo merch. What? Because it's, it's a t-shirt and it has a rainbow flag and it's uh, like Sam and Frodo and it says something, I, I forget what it, it, it's like a quote around it and everyone's like, Target has gay Sam and Frodo merch. Wow. What is this? What's happening? Apparently it's off- only offered online. But anyway, this is, I always love to say when people are like, oh, they're, everyone of course can believe what they want about Sam and Frodo's relationship. And I think viewing them as strictly platonic friends is equally as beautiful as viewing them as, you know, romantic partners. But one thing I always say is, would you leave this plane of existence to go be with your strictly platonic friend? Well, actually, I don't know. Because later on, Legolas and Gimli do the yeah, same thing. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I feel like like so I don't he know, leaves maybe. after his wife dies. And yeah. it's kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, it's hard to know because obviously he lives a really full life. And like, and also like he, you know, only held the ring for a very short amount of time. But I feel like Frodo going to the Undying Lands is because like he's just so damaged by like what has happened. Like the trials that he has faced are like too yeah. much for him. And like... Obviously, Sam didn't have that to the extent that Frodo did, but he still did. Like, he was right there with him the whole way, you know? So I think, like, for him to 
you know, have this gift of going, like, living the last of his days in, you know, the peace and beauty of the Undying Lands is, like, really beautiful and, like, really well-deserved, you know? And, yeah. And I also, like, I know a lot of, I've heard people say that they feel like the Lord of the Rings is almost the story of Sam because he's the one who Mm -hmm. sort of, like, makes this huge evolution and, like, um... And yeah, and I feel like for him to sort of get that final resting place, like, kind of brings his story to, like, the ending it deserves, if you yes. know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely what he, you know, after all this time, after being mayor for, for 49 you know, years, <laughs> the man deserves he rest. Des- <laughs> exactly. He deserves to retire in peace. Mm-hmm. So Sam, yes, goes over to the Undying Lands. Two years after that, Aomer sends message that he wants to see Mary, and so Mary is also like, "Well, I'm, I'll, I'm I'll come, but also, old, but I can do it." And he's like, "Okay, but I'm bringing my friend Pippin." Yeah. <laughs> so Mary and Pippin go over to see King Aomer uh, in Rohan, basically one last time. Mm-hmm. Also, at this time. Pippin is a thane. Yes, Pippin was made Tuke and thane, which is like the yes. military leader of the Shire. Oh, so, so funny. They've all got their their positions of Accolades leadership and, and authority. Yes. Very well deserved. They go to visit, yeah, so they go to Edoras and they visit Aomer and it says that the king died that, that year. Mm-hmm. And after that, Merry and Pippin go to Gondor and spent the rest of their time there. Ugh! Until they died and were laid in Rathdenen among the great of Gondor. Sixty mm-hmm. ish uh, years later is when Aragorn dies. Mm-hmm. And it is said that the beds of Meriadoc and Pippin were set beside the bed of the great king. So Mary and Pippin and Aragorn are all <laughs> buried together. <laughs> I love I think it's so it would have it, it's really great. I I think it would have been hilarious if like Aragorn had died first mm. and then it was Merry and Pippin who were like, no, we're important enough hey, hey, that we should be buried there. with the king. But it was the opposite. Yeah. It was like, it was Aragorn who decided I, I want to be, be laid, laid to next rest. To, yeah. It's like the end of the movie where like the hobbits are bowing to Aragorn and Aragorn's like, no, like you bow to no one. Give it to me. It's uh, like, he was that humble. Oh, so good. Love it. <laughs> Um, then at this point, Legolas built a gray ship in Athelion and sailed down the Anduin and so over sea. And with him, it is said, went Gimli the dwarf. And when the ship passed, an end was come in Middle Earth of the Fellowship of the Ring. The end. (gasps) So beautiful. What a good ending. It literally ends with Legolas and Gimli sailing off into the sunset. Yeah, to the Undying Lands. I feel like it really goes full circle, right? Because basically he's just giving the final fates of like the full fellowship. So now we know how like they all end up. And like, you know, Gandalf, Frodo, Sam, Legolas and Gimli are all in the Undying Lands together. Yeah, they're all having a party over there. (laughs) And then Aragorn, Pippin and Mary are resting together. And then Boromir had died earlier, but you know. (laughs) So it's just really nice. Like they're, you know, like all kind of together again at the end in a way. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. They're all still together um, in in spirit, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so that that is the what whatever the appendix B was titled. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the tale of years. Yes, I think that's what it? it was. So um, here is the game plan for the rest of the appendices, listeners. I'm skipping over. Don't get mad at me. Um, I'm skipping over appendix C and D. Because Appendix C is family trees, <laughs> and no one needs to listen to me say. <laughs> the son um, was son of this person, son of this person. Say Malva Headstrong <laughs> married Gormadoc Deep Diver, and their son, they had a son named Sadduk, which is interesting because that's the name of the, yeah, the, Hobbit. the head. Har- yeah, uh, yeah. Rings of Power. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's the Hardly. only <laughs> interesting part of the... Yeah. So no one needs to hear me say son of, daughter of, <laughs> married, nephew of for an hour. And then the appendix B D. is the Shire calendar. And and then, yeah, I guess it just says, yeah, the calendars. Mm-hmm. So this is where I really just ignore dates <laughs> because technically... There's uh like the Shire Reckoning yeah. and and like the Shire calendar is a different calendar than it's so confusing. It is. Yeah. And I don't need to dive into that. You know, we just read a whole timeline. I don't need to understand <laughs> the mechanics of how time works, of how the passage of Fair. days and months Fair. work. Um, so we'll pick up next with Appendix E, which is writing and spelling. And mm. This one, I even was like, I think I could skip this one, but to get a linguist, I'm gonna on. try and find someone who uh, is like a, a linguist mm-hmm. and have them on for Appendix E and maybe even Appendix F because Appendix F is about the languages. So I think this could be interesting. In theory, it might be a boring episode. <laughs> I don't know, so we'll see. <laughs> but uh, I think the yeah, I think Appendix E is where you learn how to like theoretically pronounce everything so oh. everything that i've been mispronouncing <laughs> yeah, up you'll until realize now. all the things yes in hindsight um so that that's the game plan listeners uh if you were wondering and then after that i have some fun i have some fun stuff theoretically planned i need to find people to join me in the fun well becca thank you for joining me for taking this dive into the the timelines with me um i was this is uh, initially when I said, no, I'm not going to read the appendices or I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to read this little tidbit and then skip over the rest. It was because I was worried about how I would cover it mm. in the podcast because um, reading a timeline doesn't sound very interesting when you <laughs> say it like that. But yeah. I think we had a great a great time and a great I discussion. Had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, I still feel pretty new to the Tolkien social media scene, um, but I do have an Instagram and a blog um, at Tolkien Tidbits, um, and that's where people can, you know, find me, connect with me, and I've uh, started like a second breakfast um, book club where we're reading The Silmarillion. Um, as I'm rereading it, I'm just sharing like, yeah, what I'm finding and learning, um, and yeah, hopefully it can just help make Tolkien a little more digestible and 
be fun to, yeah, like, like you were saying, like all these little tidbits that I'm picking up from reading the books and watching the movies and the show and everything, um, just sharing all of that. And if anyone happens to be interested in the recipes behind my second breakfast and any more healthy lifestyle content, then I also share a lot on my Instagram at Bites by Becca and my blog BitesByBecca.com. It's Bites by B-E-K-A-H. So yeah, I'd love to connect with more Tolkien people and lovers. So yeah. Yeah, there are some really cool cool Tolkien creators I've come across. There's Sometimes there's not so fun people out there uh, in this space, but I find that a lot of the creators are really who seem to be such genuine people, and it's so fun to connect with everyone. Yeah, and we have like amazing material to like explore and dive into like Tolkien did. You know, like, I mean, just as we see in the timeline, like he took so much care and like, you know, planned out everything and like shared it all and like the amount of stuff we have to explore is basically endless. So it's exciting. Yes. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBE.org. The cover is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. And you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsApp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different levels of support that are available. The newsletter is available to all patrons, even if you just join the basic $1 tier. And the February newsletter should be posted already. And I've decided that moving forward, I will include a section that gives a shout out to the things that friends of the pod are working on. So for example, this month, Black Nerds Create, Bayana and Delia, you know them. They've been on multiple times. We usually end up screaming about Fanor or Halbrand. Always a blast with them. Anyway, throughout the month of February, Black Nerds Create is hosting Black Magical History Month. At Black Nerds Create, we love all things fandom and creation, and we especially love fantasy. That's why we're excited for our newly named Black Magical History Month coming in February. Black Magical History Month is our sixth annual celebration of Black stories, characters, and fans across different fantasy media. Get ready for a month of digital events, challenges, and community turnups all across social media. To stay up to date and get more information, go to blacknerdscreate.com. Also, of course, got to give a shout out to this week's episode sponsor, Taylor. Taylor, you wonderful human being. Thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. It means so much to me. Do you have any parting words for the audience? You know, especially if you feel daunted by something like the appendices or the Silmarillion, I would really encourage people to give it a chance and sort of like take from it what you want or what you need. Like if you really love the dwarves, then, you know, go read about Durin's folk. Or if you're obsessed with Aragorn and Arwen, like I am, then you can read the tale of Aragorn and Arwen and like, you know, sort of explore what you can and let it just enrich in your experience of Tolkien and like all of the sort of offshoots that we're constantly getting more of, you know, and yeah, just like enjoy the experience and let it make it all the more richer. And that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) 